The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, a very warm welcome to Scorebox this Monday morning. Karen Cho and myself, Steve Sedgwick, are your anchors and these are your headlines. A rare rebellion in Russia sees Vladimir Putin's grip on power tested as mercenaries march on Moscow before an abrupt U-turn. The U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says it reveals more cracks in the Russian facade. Well, markets uh, pretty much ignoring the uh, tumult over the weekend. Asian markets kicking off the final week of the second quarter, uh, as you can see, mildly easier um, as the rally on Wall Street continues to fade. Oil prices, which you might have expected to react to events in Russia, uh, mildly higher. Um, Brent crude trading at 74.12. This after the Wagner private military group short-lived rebellion in Russia. The summer Davos returns to Tianjin for the first time since the pandemic, but it's a very different world. We'll hear from World Economic Forum President Borga Brenda live in just a moment. And a landslide victory for Greece's Conservative New Democracy Party, giving the incumbent Prime Minister, Minister uh, Kyriakos Mitsotakis enough parliamentary seats to govern alone. For the second time in a few weeks, the citizens have not just sent a message for continuity on the path we set out for four years ago, but they gave us a strong mandate to move faster on the road to make the great needs that our country has. Right, let's fill you in the gaps from the weekend. Mercenary soldiers from the Wagner Group have now withdrawn from the southern Russian city of Rostov following a short-lived attempted mutiny, one of the most severe challenges to Vladimir Putin's authority in his more than 20 years in power. Now, as part of what appeared to be, and I say what appeared to be because there are so many things going on behind the scenes here that we cannot possibly know the whole story. So we'll tell you it as the main narrative looks at the moment. So as part of what appeared to be a Belarus brokered deal to halt their march on Moscow, uh, Wagner fighters are now believed to be returning to their bases to resume fighting in Ukraine. Again, that is a moot point. Uh, their commander, Yevgeny Prigozhin, will move to Belarus, although his current whereabouts are unknown. This weekend's revolt against Vladimir Putin and top brass in Moscow started late on Friday night when the Wagner Group commander, Evgeny Prigozhin, released a video on Telegram accusing Russia's military leadership of carrying out a missile attack on his soldiers and vowing to retaliate. Now, in response, Russia's security agency, the FSB, said Prigozhin was inciting an armed rebellion. Well, I have to say, the events moved very, very quickly on Saturday, didn't they? By Saturday morning, Wagner Group's uh, troops were seen surrounding Russia's military district headquarters in the city of Rostov-on-Don. Prigozhin released a video showing him speaking directly uh, to Russia's deputy uh, defense minister and said he had taken control of the area. The key point here is... If you look on a map, and, and again, we're all furiously looking at our Russia maps on Saturday as well, they had gone a long way from their bases on the, uh, uh, on the eastern side of Ukraine towards uh, Moscow. And actually, we're only by the time they halted 
couple of hours away from yeah. Moscow, potentially. Extremely close. And shortly afterwards, the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, made an unscheduled national address. He accused Prigozhin and his group of mercenaries of betraying the country and vowed to crush the mutiny. This is a blow to Russia, to our people, and our actions to protect the fatherland from such a threat will be tough. All those who deliberately embarked on the path of betrayal, who prepared an armed rebellion, embarked on the path of blackmail and terrorist methods, will suffer inevitable punishment, will answer both to the law and to our people. By Saturday evening, with Wagner's soldiers approaching Moscow and the Russian capital on high alert, Prigozhin ordered his troops to stand down and turn around. Belarus President Alexander Lukashenko had brokered a deal between Putin and Prigozhin, while the mercenary leader said he had pulled his forces back to avoid bloodshed. Right, even with the Wagner uprising quelled, questions remain, of course, uh, over what the weekend's event mean for the future of Prigozhin, Putin and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. You could add to that Gerozimov, uh, Shoigu, again, Petrushev, all the key players in Russia. What does it mean for all of them? Well, the Kremlin has refused to say what uh, Prigozhin's new role will be out of Belarus, whilst Moscow watchers are waiting to see how Putin will look to tighten his grip on power. Meanwhile, the rebellion in Russia has allowed Ukrainian forces to push ahead with their counteroffensive, uh, making some gains in the south, or so we hear. So, so Karen, um, I, I guess I'm a student of this staff, having spent quite a bit of time in Moscow and Kiev over the years as well, and studying it historically as well. This is... A rare example of a story that the more I read, the less I know. Mm. And I think anyone out there, and there will be some experts who know exactly what's going on. There are a lot of people out here saying, this is definitely this. This means definitely this for the markets. It means definitely this for the war in Ukraine. I, I would question a lot of those narratives as well, because I think there are more unanswered questions. And the more you know about this, the less, unless you are the best criminologist uh, of all time, you will not know. I mean, I'll give you an example. The, 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 the tautology of this, NBC, CNBC were wondering, what do we call this? It, you can't say it's a, rebe- a rebellion. You can't say it's a revolution. You can't say it's a coup d'etat. Is it a revolt or what? Is it a putsch? And I think the answer is, it could have been all of the above and it could be none of the above as well. Was it all smoke and mirrors to actually see whether uh, Putin and Prigozhin working together could mm. smoke out potential enemies of the Kremlin as well? Well, I find that one very, very hard to believe as well. That Putin, who prides himself on his strength, on the strength that he has to develop internal security. I'd be very surprised if that was such uh, having such an overt threat only a couple of hundred kilometres from uh, Moscow before this was stopped, whether that was part of his plan as well. Uh, and then there are three big questions as well as well. What does this mean for Russia? What does it mean for the war in Ukraine? Uh, and what does it mean for markets as well? I think the only one I can say for sure is at the moment, it means very little for markets because actually net net, despite these extraordinary tumultuous events over the weekend, it doesn't actually change much for the markets. Just going straight to the point, uh, which has been raised a lot on uh, some of the social media um, platforms about whether this was an attempt to smoke out some of the deputies and set a, uh, the country on course to the next election. I think that is very interesting. It's really hard to digest why you would put the uh, country's fortunes at risk with such a, a bold move. And if anything, I think uh, most people have stepped away and thought this makes Putin look weak. So hardly uh, a move to try and bolster his support before the next election. That seems just highly unusual. One thing I'll pick up, you've used the word election twice. There is no such thing as an election in Russia at the moment. Let's be honest about it. There is a nomination by a load of uh, um, Siloviki or or, or nomenclature, whatever you want to call them, of who is going to be the next leader as well. I don't think 
it's I think when we talk about elections, we talk about Mitsotakis in Greece. We yes. talk about uh, I don't think there's any pretense that we have any form of election there in are, Russia at the moment. There are political there? events on the calendar, put it that way. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, what are the implications for that? But uh, And for the West, I mean, Putin is seen as such a strong arm here. And the events, as you point out, the, the march towards Moscow, and even some of the support on the ground, how much of that w is very hard to ascertain because there's been no real uh, pushback against Putin for a long time now. And every time there's any tiny support uh, that uh, is for the opposition, it gets uh, squashed very, very quickly. So what happens from here? We've got this, the country now effectively having a, a national holiday as such today just to, to reset. Is that trying to keep people behind closed doors so there is no further opposition that comes to the fore on the streets I'll just say one thing about the, the strength of Putin. Um, I first went to Russia in the, in the noughties, and then I was in Russia the day after the uh, train bombings. I think it was 2009, someone can correct me on this one. Uh, and, and one thing I learned very quickly in fast-forwarding a lot of my reading on, on the, is that Putin was elected on two things. One, to create economic stability after the chaos of the Yeltsin era of the 90s. Two, to create uh, a security apparatus which secured the country's borders and made people feel safe as well after the chaos uh, that we saw at the end of last century and the start of this century as well. If he's failing on the economic front and he's failing on the security front as well, that's when his position becomes most in danger. One question I still have is what happens to the Wagner Group from here? Are they still going to play a pivotal role on the ground in Ukraine at this stage? Uh, my understanding is that a lot of them will be subsumed into the army if that's part of the deal. Uh, in terms of Prigozhin, will he still have his uh, empire in Africa and the Middle East and will that still be intact? Because I don't think we can look at these people as diplomats in the traditional way that we all think about political players at the top of uh, an organisation. I think we have to look at them, dare I say, with an eye to their other activities and it's, the money they are making from it's those interesting, activities. But I thought one of the, the whole points of this march was that the uh, Wagner Group wouldn't be assumed to the army, that they still maintained a fairly separate force. So that is fascinating to see what plays and out in that situation. what happens to them on the battlefield then yeah. as well? Will they become a, a much less effective and less mm -hmm. brutal part of, of what has been, let's face it, a, a checkered performance from the rest of the Russian army? China has downplayed the importance of the uprising, passing it off as an internal affair. Uh, China's foreign ministry made the comments during a visit by Russia's deputy foreign minister to Beijing and said Sino-Russian relations were the best uh, in the best period in history. Uh, the World Economic Forum returns to China this week for the first time since 2019, but it's a different world with geopolitical tensions and financial and macroeconomic turmoil centre stage. Uh, we've got a preview of China's summer Davos uh, now with the special guest. I'm delighted to uh, throw it over to Sam, who's in Tianjin. Good morning to you, Stephen Karen. It is so nice to be coming to you finally from China after what has been a long three and a half years and certainly for the World Economic Forum, about four years since it was last held here back in 2019, of course. And they call it the Summer Davos. They've certainly turned it on for us. It's about 40 degrees Celsius here in Tianjin this week. But I was just listening to your conversation at the top of the show, of course, the developments around Russia, of course, over the weekend. And uh, of course, this is going to play a, an important role in the context of some of the discussions that will be had this week. A very challenging uh, in terms of the deep structural economic and geopolitical uh, issues that are facing many governments and many economies right now. But uh, in terms of a scene setter here, about 1,500 people or so from around 90 countries, hundreds of business leaders all coming together uh, to work out ways to address a number of issues, which, of course, I just mentioned. There will be discussions around, of course, the 
climate uh, technology around developments in AI and of course EVs. Uh, we'll also be of course talking a lot about uh, financial stability and uh, debt sustainability. In fact, I'll be uh, moderating a panel on Wednesday to talk about the global debt explosion. But uh, I think more importantly, uh, what will be key here is China's role in all of this and also the state of doing business here in the world's second biggest economy. And I have one person who's very, very relieved and very glad to be back here in China. And that is, of course, Borger Brenda, the president of the World Economic Forum, joining us here live in Tianjin uh, this afternoon. A very good afternoon to you. How does it feel to be back? It feels great. And as you said, it's really summer Davos because it's more than 40 degrees outside. It is. I, I'm feeling a bit sorry for you in that yeah. suit, but it's nice and air-conditioned in here. Look, um, our colleagues Karen and Steve just talking this, uh, now about the developments we've heard out of Russia this weekend. I do want to put that to you, as I said, in the context of uh, some of the discussions that will be had this week. How are you watching this? I think uh, all of us are very surprised by what we saw from the Wagner Group and how this was uh, unfolding very dramatic. Uh, we have to remember that uh, Russia is also a nuclear superpower. Let's see if this will have any um, then implications on Russia's appetite to continue the war in Ukraine. I think this is uh, the question we're all now struggling with. Will this lead uh, to uh, escalation or more willingness on the Russian side to also find solutions uh, sticking to the UN Charter in uh, possible negotiations with President Zelensky? And how should governments and economies be responding? Of course, we've heard a reaction out of China today and also out of the US overnight as well. So what should governments be doing in terms of how they're watching this situation? I think uh, we are all very vigilant, uh, as I said, very surprised. But um, I think the elephant in the room is, will this uh, change President Putin's approach uh, to the Ukraine war? Will he end the war based on this now and see that it's uh, overstretched? Or will this uh, continue? Because the war is having big negative impact, of course, mainly on the people of Ukraine but also on energy prices globally, but also on food, because Ukraine is one of the big uh, exporters of uh, grain. And uh, in a very complicated uh, geopolitical landscape, if we could uh, find a solution to the Ukraine war, could end that, it would be a very, very good signal, not only for the people in uh, Ukraine, but the war has huge negative impact also on the global south that is paying a high price. Of course, also consumers in Europe with uh, very high energy prices, electricity prices still. Yeah, absolutely. Bringing it back here to China and why we are here, of course, um, a very different scene, you could say, to what we were seeing back in 2019 when you were last here. Um, how are you watching China's recovery right now, given that a very different story is playing out to what we were watching in Q1 in terms of perhaps the rebound not being as strong as was expected or anticipated at first, um, and also as the world is really counting on China, or it at least had been, to really be the engine of growth for, for the global economy this year. How are you watching what is happening here in terms of that recovery? It's true that uh, China grew very fast after the COVID restrictions were lifted. It's still growing quite substantially. Uh, but the government uh, also now are taking 
the government is taking measures uh, by lowering the interest rates and looking at other measures to revive growth uh, further. If you look at the global picture where we expect 2.8% growth this year, China is growing much more than that. And uh, China is uh, probably responsible still for 35% of the global growth. But it will be very interesting listening to the new premier's speech tomorrow. Uh, are there further measures to strengthen growth that will be announced? And what is the message also to the international business community that is here? There are 1,500 CEOs and potential investors here. And I'm expecting that uh, there will be signals uh, that uh, foreign direct investments are very welcome and uh, there might be also then additional measures from the new governments uh, to that effect. What signals will be helpful at this point? Because there's been a lot of uncertainties around foreign businesses doing business here in China, of course, uh, given the regulatory environment, uh, the mixed signals, even some of China's laws, which has unnerved a lot of foreign investors. So what do you think will be key in terms of what Li Chang will be discussing tomorrow? What should we be watching out for? I'm pretty sure that he will send a strong message that uh, foreign direct investments are welcome uh, in uh, China. I think we've also lately seen uh, some positive developments between the so-called G2, the US and China. It's almost 50% of the global economy. And even with all the rhetoric and confrontation and competition between these two important nations, you know, trade between China and US grew last year with 1.2%. Uh, I think people will be surprised by hearing these uh, numbers. But what we have to avoid is that uh, this is uh, becoming uh, a lost decade with low growth moving forward because 2.8% global growth is not what we need to eradicate poverty, to build uh, prosperous societies. We need to get much stronger growth and then that has to be built on a win-win thinking, not like uh, beggar thy neighbor, but prosper your neighbor. And hopefully there will come signals uh, also from the business community here that uh, there is uh, still trust and invest to invest uh, in China and there are opportunities here. What are some of the other important key themes, especially which China can play a role in when you look at the role of technology and climate change, which are some of the other important discussions that will be had this week? China has become uh, the real hub uh, for the uh, new renewables. Uh, if we met here 10 years ago at uh, Summer Davos, uh, we would have seen solar and wind 10 times more expensive than today. Today, many places in the world, you can introduce wind and solar without subsidies. They're even cheaper than fossil fuel. And China has played a major role in manufacturing here and now is the largest exporter of these uh, kind of products. But now we have to go further. Where are we heading when it comes to green hydrogen? Where are we heading when it comes to carbon capture and storage? How can we drive down the prices also in these sectors to make sure that we can be more successful uh, in um, making sure that we are meeting net zero and the decarbonization of the world? Because that's going far, far too slow and we're seeing that already this summer with extreme temperatures all over the world. And in terms of technology, what do you think will be the nature of some of these discussions? What are your expectations on talks around regulation here this week? So the big uh, discussion topic is now, of course, artificial intelligence. 
Is that the new Gutenberg printing press? Is it the new internet? I would say that uh, artificial intelligence will change a lot of the business models that we know today. Let's make sure that AI works in the interest of, uh, of uh, human mankind. Mm. Uh, and then it needs some regulations too, because uh, if you use it in the right way, it can uh, be very productive when it comes to climate change, when it comes to also uh, health and a lot of the challenges we're faced with. But it also has a very negative potential, deep fakes, but also like we regulated nuclear weapons with uh, not making sure that uh, they were not spreading. I think we need to also agree on some basic traffic rules when it comes to AI. And I think China can play a constructive role there. I think your job is safer than mine. Let's just put it that oh, way when it comes you. to AI. But thank you so much for your time. Borger Brenda of the World Economic Forum, of course, the president there talking with me here live in Tianjin. Karen and Steve, I'll send it back to you now. Thank you very much for that, Sam. Coming up on the show, Greece's Prime Minister wins another four years in office as his party cruises to victory in parliamentary elections. We'll discuss what the next few years hold for Greece right after the break. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. It was a soggy old finish for those U.S. markets Friday session on what was a downbeat trading week for major markets as well. The uh, Dow reversing about 200 plus points in session, steeper fall for the Nasdaq down 1%. And now the course of the trading week, we saw bigger falls uh, just appearing on the major markets. 1.4 plus down for the Nasdaq, for instance, breaking an eight-week winning streak. In terms of some of the big moving stocks, it was Microsoft to the downside for the Nasdaq and across the board on the S&P 500 as well. In terms of the Dow, also reversal taking place. Uh, one of the other big market drivers, again, as we talk about the upside or downside in terms of direction here, big playing stocks in that direction can often be the likes of Microsoft. The other one for the Dow is Goldman Sachs, and that was the stock moving to the downside for the Dow. Over the course of the trading week, 1.6 plus percent stripped off the Dow, and uh, it also broke a winning streak, three-week winning streak for that major market. In terms of the sectors, a big question for investors about whether there's been some breadth coming back into the equation on these boards away from the tech stocks. It was healthcare that was the best performer last week. Somewhat of a defensive play for investors getting back into this market but playing it safe at the same time. The underperformer was real estate, down about 4% for the trading week. But if you take stock too, the banks were actually down by about 6.8%. So not a great trading week for those major financials. The Fang Plus stocks also retreat down 1.9%. So uh, certainly a week of reversals. Let's take a look at the Treasury markets. Uh, this is uh, investors are taking stock of some of the language from a fairly hawkish Jay Powell and testimony. And uh, effectively that we're still moving higher from here when it comes to U.S. interest rates. 
even though we've had a pause. So the short end, we're traveling at 4.73 at this stage on the bond markets. To the dollar, given the strength we've seen on the, the bond market, uh, we've actually now got a little bit of strength coming back into some of the trades away from Greenback. Sterling dollar 127.34. The, uh, again, strong messages from the Bank of England, that 50 basis point rate hike we had last week. We are very much uh, seeing some support come back into the market here. 109.06 on euro as a result too, up about a tenth of a percent dollar declining versus the Japanese yen. It is uh, seeing some strength against the yuan. To the commodities complex, uh, WTI and Brent this morning, or gold I should say, all marching high. We've got modest increases here. Brent 74 the handle, 69.30 on WTI. And on gold, we're traveling around 19.24 at this stage. The Asian markets for the Monday session are kicking off the trading week on the back foot. Uh, we are traveling south on Japanese stocks are downbeat by just 64 points or two tenths of a percent. So just a modest pullback at this stage versus what you're seeing across on some of these uh, Chinese markets. The Shanghai Composite in particular down the most, down almost uh, 1% at this point. Australia down less than half of 1%. And to the opening calls in Europe, uh, five negative sessions in a row was how we wrapped up the trade on Friday. So it was a course of retreat there as well. A little bit deeper in terms of the extent of the falls in Europe versus the United States, down roughly almost 3% for instance, on the stock ship 600 and in that vein for big core markets like Germany down about three and a quarter percent for the trading week, uh, which explains why we're now looking a little bit more upbeat on some of these core markets on the back of a, a string of reading that we've seen, Steve. Uh, remind me later on, I've got a great stat on VIX and recessions, courtesy of SG Securities. I'll try and remember to uh, do that to the viewers later. In fact, it will hold if I forget today. Um, anyway, uh, Greece's Conservative New Democracy Party won the country's parliamentary election this weekend, beating its main rival, uh, the leftist Syriza. The incumbent Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis gained another four years in office, with his party winning 40.5% uh, of the vote, uh, giving him a comfortable majority to form a new government. Well, Mitsotakis uh, thanked his supporters and pledged to speed up reforms. With today's election results, Greece opens a new historical chapter in its course. For the second time in a few weeks, the citizens have not just sent a message for continuity on the path we set out for four years ago, but they gave us a strong mandate to move faster on the road to make the great needs that our country has. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.